0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Abram Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Abracha, I have the distinct pleasure of speaking today with Rabbi Michael Broid, a uh, professor at Emory University. And, and Rabbi Broid uh, shared with me uh, a fascinating question that came his way. Uh, a, a, an Ohioan uh, sent him a question. Uh, due to a law that I guess was scheduled to go in effect uh, that was relevant to uh, paying your state taxes, which uh, impacted on the Hilchah Tzedakah. Most of the time when I present here,
1: I present topics that I've already well worked out in my mind, and I have an answer that I think is correct. This is not the case here, and we're going to engage in more thinking out loud without any definitive conclusions at this very moment. Here's the question. This is the uh, uh, verbatim quote of what I was asked. There is a new program in Ohio that allows us to donate money to our school of choice, even a yeshiva, and take a state tax credit up to $1,500 because we will have at least that much state tax liability. That means that there's no cost to us to donate up to $1,500. Would it be appropriate to consider this maaser? Can we pay it from our maaser ksafim fund? And then let me add a related question do I fulfill the mitzvah of tzedakah? And putting it in context is important because tuition tax credits have become more important in the United States, 23 states now have them. Five more, people predict, will enact, will enact them in 2023. And um, these are going to become much more a part of um, tax planning within the United States. Um, as a moment of tax law, it's important to understand the American law here for just a moment. A state tax credit means not a deduction, but it means I can deduct the money I donate from the taxes I pay the state. So let's imagine a mythical taxpayer who earns $100,000 a year pays $20,000 in federal taxes and $5,000 in state taxes. If you give him a $1,500 tax credit to the state, he only pays $3,500 now in state tax credits. It's as if your state income tax is going to your designated charity. Now, you might ask, why would any state do that?
0: Let me me try to suggest an answer uh, why they would do that. Um, And maybe I'm wrong, but I think the... um, We know that these charities uh, do a lot of good in the community, whether it's strengthening uh, children's minds in schools or providing uh, outlets uh, for inner city children or whatever it is that they're doing. And many of these charitable institutions will, through their representatives, come to the state knocking on the door and asking for various uh, tax breaks, asking for various monies uh, to be funneled to them, um, and, and the state is going to have a hard time, especially when lobbyists are doing that, saying, no, this really allows them for the, those institutions to continue doing that, strengthening the infrastructure, provide, be getting better citizens, and they don't have to levy a new tax in order to help support uh, all these uh, institutions. Because as we know, even though with the private schools and yeshivas, there's federal money and state money to go to them. This way, if the money goes directly uh, from the taxpayer, so to speak, or instead of paying the state, the state does not have to raise taxes in the future. That's what I was thinking.
1: The reason is the United States Supreme Court has told us that even though the government may not directly subsidize religious institutions... It may provide tax credits to the taxpayer to subsidize who subsidizes religious institutions. So it would be a violation of American law for the federal government to directly provide um, a benefit of this type to a yeshiva gedola that teaches no secular studies. But the government can offer tuition tax credits or tax credits to a person who's paying tuition to an institution that the government cannot directly subsidize. Both of these are reasons why tuition tax credits are popular. And there's a third reason that has been suggested by a variety of critics of tuition tax credits. Tuition tax credits are a subsidy of the middle class and wealthy. Because people who pay no state income tax do not benefit from this program, and it's a way for the government to allow only the top half to derive benefit from a program since about half the residents of most states owe no state income tax. So between these three benefits, many states, now 23, and a few more are in the background, have started to offer tuition tax credits for a variety of religious institutions in a variety of amounts. The state of Georgia, for example, where I lived, where I lived, just raised the tuition tax credit to 5000 um, dollars.
0: And, and, and I'm sure and I'm allow sure, but, even more. And, and this has obviously created a boon, uh, and, and I guess a lot of excitement. In many of the schools and institutions, because as, instead of looking at the economic downturn that is upon us as a way for these many of these schools to close down and and, and perhaps uh, you know go out of business, they're now seeing this as a possible, as, as a life preserver to save them. Because now monies can now go in and scholarships can now be offered, so it sounds like a, a great thing that's happening. It certainly is good for the yeshivas. Um, certainly
1: is good for the yeshivas. Um, It brings new revenue into um, the Jewish day school system in ways that's only helpful. And even though parents are paying in some pro forma way, actually the state is paying. Um, And these are very good ideas at some level, but they don't address the question, which is, How does Halacha view this? Is this tzedakah from the person who's paying it? Is it my serksafim? Can I pay it from my charity funds? Um, How should I view this as a tzedakah? I can think of no less than six different ways to classify this and laying them out in some analytic way is helpful. One approach is to say, this is not a charity at all as one is giving nothing. The state is giving and one is just really an agent of the state. No different than if I'm standing outside of Shul, Somebody approaches me and says, "I'm embarrassed to go into a shul, um, but I want to give a hundred dollars into the pushka. Here's a hundred dollars. Would you give it into the pushka?" So I say, "Sure," and I take their hundred dollars. I come into shul, I put a hundred dollars in the pushka. Who is giving that sedaka? Well, on some hyper technical level, I am giving it, but I am just an agent of this person who's standing outside the shul, because um, they have told me what to do. Now here, the government didn't tell me anything, but the government is, in essence, reimbursing me. And since the government is reimbursing me, I'm not giving anything. The second way is the exact opposite. This is totally and completely tzedakah, and not only tzedakah, but it's miser ksafen. It's no different than any other deduction. When you give $100 to a charity, the government lets you deduct it from your income, and it results in a net savings to you of $40. And yet no one suggests that you're only giving $60. Um, a tuition tax credit is just a better deduction than a typical deduction, but since you are doing the giving, you are the giver, and you are fulfilling the mitzvah of tzedakah. From the fact that the state provides you with some other benefit at some future moment um, doesn't mean the state is giving, you are giving, and the state might eventually at some future point Reimburse you, but you're choosing who to give. You're choosing when to give. You're choosing where to give, and thus you are given. Another approach says that while this doesn't fulfill the technical mitzvah of tzedakah, um, it certainly does fulfill uh, a more general idea of gemilut chasadim and doing good deeds. Um, and this is part of a more general conversation that, for example, um, Rabbi Soloveitchik adopted. In the Rishima Chiurim of the Rav, in Bavakama, Daf Zion Amidalev, the Rav says as follows. I'll first read it in Hebrew, and then I'll say it in Hebrew. Nireh, sheyeh shnei mitzvot b'tzedakah. It seems to me the Rav said that there are two aspects of La Latet ma'ot, lamishihu ani mamach to give charity, money, to a person who's poor. And then he says in the second, Yaani." It's to help a person who's poor so that he doesn't become poor. And the Rav explains why the first and greatest, my love, Tzedakah, is to help a poor person in a business deal even though what? I too am benefiting from the business deal. I approach a poor person and I say to him, Let me help you in the real estate business and I will invest with you. You will do the work. I will invest. You will earn a living and I will make money. That's a fulfillment of the mitzvah of tzedakah, even though I have spent no money at all. The mitzvah of tzedakah is different from the mitzvah of Ma'aser Ksafim. The mitzvah of Ma'aser Ksafim is to give 10% of your money, and it requires a giving. The mitzvah of tzedakah is a more general idea that it's a Torah obligation to help poor people or Torah institutions make their way. And here you are fulfilling that mitzvah. Somehow related to that is another approach which says this doesn't fulfill the mitzvah of tzedakah at all because there is no given, but it's a chesed. A chesed is when I do something of benefit to a charity even though it costs me nothing at all. I have a winter coat that I'm no longer wearing that I'm throwing out. And I see a poor person who needs a winter coat, so I give him my discarded winter coat of no cost to me, but of great benefit to him. That might not fulfill the mitzvah of tzedakah at all because I value the value of the coat at zero since I threw it out. But nonetheless, it is a chesed because this has benefited the other person by providing them with something of value to them that they need. The charity has gotten $1,500 more even though I have not really spent $1,500 Let me imagine as follows. The governor of the state that I live in calls me up and says, hey, Michael, we have some state money to give out. Who should we give it to? And I suggest it be given to my local yeshiva and the governor gives the money to my local yeshiva through a bill. So I haven't given anything, but I've definitely done a chesed to the yeshiva by recommending that the governor give to them. Um, Here in this model, a tuition tax credit is like the state is saying to me, Um, We will give money to anybody who you recommend. I could recommend um, United Catholic Charities. I could recommend um, uh, um, uh, uh, the uh, ASPCA. But instead, I recommend an institution that fulfills the mitzvah of tzedakah. And by fulfilling the mitzvah of tzedakah, I've done a chesed here with no cost to myself. Even though I haven't fulfilled the Torah obligation of tzedakah, I nonetheless have fulfilled the rabbinic obligation or maybe even the Torah obligation of chesed because yes, I've directed money
0: to a charity. Uh, be careful about conflating and recognizing where everything lies. Um, you know, and, and there are statements that are somewhat contradictory in the Rishonim uh, about what is the overarching mitzvah, uh, you, you say the responsibility of giving tzedakah, tzedakah might just be, as we know, uh, I think one of the Rishonim says why we don't make a brocha on tzedakah is because it's not a mitzvah chiyuv. It's, it's not, oh, I didn't give tzedakah. Uh It's possible that if there aren't aniyim, uh if there aren't people coming to your house and asking, it's, oh, I, di- I didn't fulfill my Torah chiyuv. There wasn't really, uh, there wasn't the need. And, I uh, agree with that. And maybe that, by the way, is why
1: Rabbi Soloveitchik thinks that both fulfill the Torah mitzvah. When I prevent a person from becoming poor, the Rav says that's a fulfillment of the Torah mitzvah of tzedakah. Others, I think, say that's not fully correct. Um, and that that is instead a fulfillment only of the rabbinic obligation. There's a tosus, Um which seems to indicate that you cannot fulfill the Torah obligation of tzedakah um, unless you lose money, unless you give away money of your own. And that implicitly argues um, with the Rambam, who seems to say that you can actually make money giving tzedakah by hiring a poor person to do a job. That too is a fulfillment of the mitzvah.
0: Maybe (laughs) there's a core dispute among the Rishonim about that. And this might also touch on the question about the, the Bahag and others who count the various mitzvahs of Bikr Cholim and Nichum HaVayom and other acts of Chesed as a mitzvah in the Torah rather than a subset of Vav Kabocha or other types of things. In other words... Yes,
1: I agree with that. There's definitely a strain of thought in the Rishonim that don't classify Niham etc. as the haftal but as um chasadim which is a very interesting view um some midrabbanan and some minotaur and by so, the way let me articulate another view another view says this is not any mitzvah at all but if you don't do it this is a middle sadom this is a ze ne The state has said to you, give away our money if you want. You can either give it to the state or you can give it to your local Jewish charity. When the government says either give it to the state or give it to your local Jewish charity and you choose to give it to the government rather than your local Jewish
0: charity, that's sort of a Midas Sedom. Let let, me push back on that a little bit because... We all know the classic case in Baba Kama of Kaif and Stone is where a person has, uh, achatzer, or let's, let's make it practical in 21st century terms, a person has an apartment room uh, that he is not renting out, uh, that it's not a neighborhood that he's ever uh, going to be able to get rent and acquire rent on it, but it's there and it's accessible, and he finds a squatter, a Jewish squatter there, who's in there. So assuming that that squatter does not do any damage at all and that, the, and that living in it doesn't actually uh, perpetuate any loss, the Gemara says that that's an example of Zennanebizeli Khosr, meaning you weren't going to get money from renting that apartment, and this person has now entered it and needs it. Uh, the difference of why we might call that Kofen Almida Stone is because the second the party that is the squatter has already made that choice. He's already there, and you. What do you want to do? You want to uh, you want to deprive him of that, or charge him rent, even though you were never charging rent. And therefore, we say we don't allow you to do that. Uh, but here, before the the yeshiva or the tzedakah gets involved, um, they haven't. Ha- they don't have their hands on this, and they haven't uh, uh, taken it. So it's a little bit different. You can see how Mita stone would apply in that classic example that I was talking about, because there we tell the person what now you're charging rent because the guy is there. This doesn't cost you anything anyway. It's much different where you are actually, as you said before, the active agent for that place getting it. And the person, if it's not, not for you, the yeshiva doesn't even know about it and doesn't even have it. Kofin al Sodom doesn't necessarily mean that the person is Muhuyev to put up signs telling squatters, please come here because I have this apartment that's empty.
1: Uh, I agree with you. It's not exactly a Kofin al Sodom, but it shares some characteristics with Kofin al Sodom at the very least. Okay, um, I'll give you that. Uh, at the very least. And then I have another group of my own rebellion who take the following view. They say, this is not a serious Shiloh. Why am I spending my time on this serious Shiloh? This is not so serious. Um, all we have here is a minug of Maiser Ksafim. Um, and the minug of Myser Ksafim isn't a Haracha at all. It's just a nice Minag that we give 10%, that we've shown and fight about whether it's a Din Minotaur or a Din D'Rabanan or just a minug, But we paskin that it's just a minna. And I'm spending my time here discussing, not a din at all, but just a, uh, a conversation about whether this fulfills the minna Yisrael. And uh, the answer is, we should assume that any time the charity benefits, I fulfill the minna Yisrael,
0: and, and therefore, even though I've uh, created my own little Meister fund, uh, a cookie jar and a bank or wherever it is, I would have the right to deduct that from that. And I'm not really doing anything uh, like stealing the tzedakah away. That's, that's what you're saying. But I, I think that,
1: you... that's the approach here. That's right. correct. Right. And another version of that approach modifies it as follows. It says... This is true for a person who doesn't separate his Maeser-Ksafim funds, but just does an approximation. But if you actually have a Pushka, you can't take money from the Pushka and give it away other than to a real and full charity. Maybe all of these are possible approaches for thinking about whether we have here a Maeser-Ksafim Issue or not, I'm not a hundred percent sure um, uh, what exactly is um, the right answer in that situation. And you can think about a few different paradigms and a few different models. One model I want to suggest is Ravmosha's lottery ticket model. Ramosha, when asked, whether I can buy lottery tickets with my Maiser says as follows. I'm only allowed to buy, to count lottery tickets as part of my Maiser Ksuffin when the lottery, b- above the fair market value actually of the lottery ticket. Ramosha says as follows. Imagine, now I'm giving an example. Ramosha doesn't give an example, but he, he does do the math. He says, imagine I have a lottery that gives away $1,000 and sells exactly 100 tickets for $20 a ticket. So the fair market value of those tickets is only $10 a ticket. And when I buy such a ticket for $20, $10 is charity and $20 is the other 10 Is an investment, right? It's almost an investment. I'm buying the right to win $1,000 at its fair market value. If I have a lottery ticket with an infinite number of tickets, then the fair market value of tickets is zero because nobody buys them as an investment. But how much would you pay for a 1% chance to win $1,000? Promotion says $10. That's what it's worth. And since that's what it's worth, you can't call it a charity if
0: you're buying something for what it is worth, according to that, your... that, that, that actuarial like approach, I don't know if that's a term or not. It's fascinating what Ramosha says. Of course, it doesn't necessarily deal with how many tickets were actually sold. Because if you say that there were, let's say, thousands of tickets available, but the little children that went around to the shoals to try to sell these tickets were not that successful. Then ultimately, when the drawing occurs, um, it it might still be that same ratio that, right? I I won't argue with you. I would only say as follows. Rav Moshe seems
1: to adopt the view that there's no market value for lottery tickets um, uh, when I tell you an infinite number of them can be sold, because (laughs) by definition... No business person will ever buy those tickets. There is no market value. Fascinating approach. Moshe would say as follows um, The amount, uh, or I think Ravmosha would say as follows um, This is only a charity to the extent that my gift has a time discounted value against my rebate. Um, I'm not going to get my money back from the government for a little while. And time is money, and maybe the discounted value of my money is the is the likelihood of my contribution. How much is a thousand dollars in six months as opposed to a thousand dollars right now worth? That's an actuarial question, and that's the discounted market value. And I think Rav Moshe takes the view that that is uh, 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 the discounted market value approach uh to charity
0: so, so how so how are you going to relate this to to our case just explain it to me to the case sure i think
1: Ramosha would say as follows well you're giving $1500 now and you're only getting back $1500 the next april 15th when you file your taxes and there's a time gap between Um, when you're giving the charity and when you're getting the money from the state. And that time gap has a market value. In high inflationary times, that gap might be high. In low inflationary times, that gap might be low. And uh, and it could be there are other discounts. I, I would pay less for a tuition tax credit from the government in the Ukraine than I would from the government of New York, because maybe by April 15th, there won't be a Ukraine. Meaning that's why people bought Confederate bonds at a discount in the middle of the Civil War. Not all governments are as stable as the government of the United States. Governments get discounted based on their instability. Stability,
0: yes. Yeah, so instability.
1: Uh, so... We in America don't think about this, actually. But of course, in the real world... Um, how much would you buy a Confederate bond for? The answer is not for much. Um, notwithstanding the slogan, the South will rise again, you and I are betting that it isn't going to happen. Uh, Confederate war bonds are worth nothing and Tsarist Russia war bonds aren't worth much either.
0: So therefore um, here, this since this money um, will only uh, result in a benefit for you later, uh, you're saying that there's still you can deduct the amount of from miser that difference between uh, what it would be the benefit of having it uh, of having it now than only having it later. That's what you're saying would be the miser. That's I right.
1: Think. What determines whether this is a tzedakah or not is your intent. Because the ar is making the following point. I gave $1,500 to my yeshiva unaware of the fact that I was going to get my money back. I gave it L'shem sedaka, And then afterwards, my accountant said, woohoo, I found you a loophole. You'll get your money back. I still fulfill the Mitzvah of sedaka because I did it L'shem sedaka. But if I didn't do it lashem sedaka, but I was aware of the fact that there was a loophole and I would get my money back, then I have not fulfilled the Mitzvah of sedaka. The Archa Shulchan tries to solve these problems by asking... Are you doing this lashamed Sadaka? If you're doing it lashamed Sadaka, then it's a Tsadaka. And yeah. the fact that eight months later, when your accountant is preparing your taxes, he says, loophole? You say, woohoo. But at the time that I gave the money, it's just L'Shame Sadaka. I, I,
0: I guess one has to raise uh, the question that we all know the Gemara that says, that if a person gives a, uh, a dinner with stock or a cellar with tzedakah, right? so I guess the difference would be over there, you, you are, your intent is complete tzedakah. You just want the ancillary benefit, what tzedakah is going to bring you, that you hope that your child will get better or, or live. Well, let me use a different
1: phrase. I've always understood that gemara to mean, um, here's what I want from God but not what I want from another human being. Yeruch HaShulchan's point is when I'm getting money back from somebody else and I know it, it's not tzedakah. Kadeshi HaYechi just means, dear God, if you want to reward me for my good deed, here's the reward I want. Um, but I'm not sure when I go to a hospital and say, um, I'm going to give a donation in return for which you'll cure my son. That that's tzedakah. I'm. This is it, yechi beni. So that means so that God should reward my son, and not so that you, dear doctor, should cure my son. I think that that's uh, uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, a related really question. Mm-hmm. Uh, another approach to this question goes as follows. Don't be ridiculous. This is a full blown mitzvah of tzedakah because the act of designating which charity gets the tzedakah is the complete fulfillment of the mitzvah. Because although I'm not getting anything, tzedakah is essentially in this school of thought measured by by whether the charity gains and not by whether. I give lots of people give things away to tzedakah that uh, to them are of no value, but are great value to the tzedakah. Um, No different than le mashal. I have a bottle of whiskey in my house that I don't like and I don't drink, and I bring it to my shul kiddush because I know there are other people who like it. Yeah, similar to your
0: this. This is basically a reiteration of the coat situation. That's right. right.
1: And that this argument says the whole predicate is incorrect. The central measure of tzedakah is that the poor person gains. And they fully buy the Rambam's idea that you fulfill the full mitzvah of tzedakah when I help a poor person, even if it comes at not only no cost to me,
0: but... A benefit to me right I, I michael i would just say just a little bit with a little different twinge and that would be that elfi the rambam based on the P'sukim and parashat's bahar of that we want to eliminate the need for tzedakah altogether when a person when you have not really been doing your job or you were unaware and a person has descended into penury you try to restore that as much as possible but really, the, the chiv of tzedakah, according to this, is to not allow that situation to happen. Um, when tzedakah, when it occurs, of course, you need to respond, and you have to, you have to give. But really, the overarching theme is is that to, to tzedakah create and strive for that utopia where there aren't any evionim, even though the Torah tells us, well, sech to I think that's really what, what's going on. And that's why I think, you know, to view tzedakah as sort of in this mechanical fashion, I think, according to the Rambam, undermines a vision of what community responsibility is. I totally agree. And let me add that that's why when I
1: loan a poor person money, even if they pay me back, I fulfilled the mitzvah of tzedakah. Even though I lent a poor person money, and thank God it all worked out, and he's fixed his problems, and he repays me, a halva is in this model exactly a mitzvah of, um, exactly a mitzvah
0: of uh, of, of nesina. I, 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 I just of you know, I, I think one little other point. You know, everybody knows the Rambam's. Um, you know, eight. Uh, levels of tzeduk, or it might be ten, the mile of matan b'seisir. You know, you, you know, and many people, of course, you know, you know, uh, go so much out of their way not to uh, allow the recipient to know who you are. I, I think that it, it isn't just okay not to uh, do chest thumping about yourself. If the idea of tzedukah is really to create a citizen who feels positive about himself and will contribute and will even work harder, and maybe this is what they need, the fact that you don't embarrass them as a taker strengthens his self-image and allows him to actually perhaps remove some of those obstacles that caused him uh, to become poor. The the idea of, of giving Betheser Uh, Because once you cement the idea, and this, of course, gets into why some of the Republicans were so much against Johnson's welfare state in the 60s, is that once you create a society of takers and people know, then they don't really feel that they're anything but that. When When you don't confront the person when you give it to him to when you don't necessarily designate him and identify him as a as a taker you're actually really being makai and what stuff is supposed to be which is to allow that person to join you in the bounties that this world affords. interesting uh, idea
1: i i don't disagree with any of this so i i'm i'm struggling to figure it out And I also working in the background is the question of whether the fact that American law says that the government of the United States cannot give this money should have any impact on whether I get Sadaka credit for it. Maybe if American law permitted the government to give it, then it would not be Sadaka, but the government is not, I'm not an agent of the government because if I were the agent of the government, then this would be prohibited. All of these are, are ideas that are working in my mind. I'm inclined to think that this is not a fulfillment of the mitzvah of Ma'aser kesafim in the following sense. I cannot take money out of my pushka to give this money since it will be rebated to me. Um, I'm inclined to think it is a fulfillment of the mitzvah of tzedakah minotorah because the charity, the yeshiva, gains. And I'm not sure if a person who does informal maiser with no pushka is allowed to, to count this towards his informal maiser which is I sort of kind of try in a non-mathematical way to give away about 10%. Unlike my previous presentations here, where I was pretty sure of this, I welcome feedback from everybody who listens to this as to their thoughts on this topic as I prepare to write more. Uh, My email address is mbroid at emory.edu, M-B-R-O-Y-D-E at emory.edu. And I'd welcome halachic feedbacks or comments or competing approaches to this, this is still in the laboratory. Yeah. And nothing we take here should be taken as anything halakhalamaisa. And I'm still intensely thinking about this question related to American tax law and law and
0: religion. Rabayum, who you haven't mentioned who they were in, in uh but you know, I think off pod you mentioned to me who they were. Um they, they seem to run counter, first of all, uh to uh, the chuvasno mm-hmm. behuda I think, and uh, and other greats who talk about a situation uh that you brought to my attention actually, where uh you're and um they they go to great lengths to explain why you're able to be gova frommeisterrikxoffen how and, and clearly, they did not see this bank account, this piggy bank uh, you'll be pardon the expression this Pushka as just, eh, it's a nice, it's a midas they seem to take it very seriously, uh, whether you could be goiva from it. So uh, it, it sounds like uh, these rabbayim of yours uh, you know, are, are, are are, in a way uh, running counter to the G'deli Hayroah, who seem to tell us to take Maestriks of him very, very seriously.
1: So I won't disagree with that. My rabbayim are of the view that Meisir Ksafim is a Minug, and they acknowledge that there are those who think it's a din, either Midrabanan or Minatora, but they maintain that the consensus of the poskim is that Meisir Ksafim is a Minug, and you shouldn't spend so much intellectual energy discerning um the exact parameters of the minog. Rather, you should strive to do your best to help poor people as you can without necessarily counting to 10%. They agree that others think it's a rigid 10%, but my rebeim tend to think that my is a minug and not a din, and they side with the view that since it's a minog and not a din, it, it's uh, like the na'anuim of a lulav, and you shouldn't spend too much time working out exactly the non-nuim of Alulav, of Alu, of, since the exact details of the non are just a matter of mina gisrael. So I'm not sure I agree with that yet. All of this is still in the laboratory and we'll think some more. And maybe in a few months, I'll give another presentation with more distinct.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.